Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and it's finally Monday, and it's finally time for a brand new episode. This week, I'm bringing you yet another case out of Utah. I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. Y'all grab your kids, grab your wife, pack your shit, and get the fuck out of Utah. Small talk is like nails on a chalkboard, so let's dive in. Friday, May 24th, 2019 was like every other start to the weekend. Jessica Whipple, her long-standing boyfriend Dietrich Black, and their two girls were having a nice, boring night at home like most families with young children do. I'm included in this. At around 9 p.m., Jessica and Dietrich put five-year-old Lizzie and her little sister to bed, then returned to the living room to have some adult time. And by adult time, I mean actual time where adults have conversations about things that don't involve goldfish and unicorns. A little while later, Lizzie's mom, Jessica, starts messaging her 21-year-old little brother, Alex, on Facebook and invites him over to the house to hang out. Alex lived a troubled life, to put it lightly. His mom abandoned him when he was five. He was in and out of foster homes. His mom finally came back into his life and then decided to move him away from everything he knew. And even then, she didn't offer him much. His sad past led to a dark adulthood. He had been previously charged with domestic assault and possession. He once trashed his grandfather's house and then stole the neighbor's car and took it on a high-speed police chase. He was also in and out of homelessness and was known to have a drug and alcohol problem. However, last year he managed to get his GED and currently held a job in Hiram, Utah, which is just a few miles south of his sister who lived in Logan. And honestly, this was more than he could say for really any other time in his life. That being said, he was still a bit of a nomad, surfing from couch to couch, but never too far away to keep him from getting to work on time. Most of his family had ridden Alex off, but him and his sister managed to stay in somewhat regular contact, and she held nothing against him. Sure, he was troubled, but every family has a black sheep, right? So with his sister's invitation, Alex grabbed his skateboard and rode over to her house, getting there sometime between 10 and 10.30 p.m. The three of them drink beer and play video games together until about midnight, and that's when Jessica and Dietrich decide to head to their bedroom for the night, and Alex was told that he was welcome to crash on the living room couch. Around 1 a.m., Jessica says that she got up to check on the girls one last time before falling asleep, and there they were, just fine, snoozing in their beds, so she headed to bed herself. When Jessica and Dietrich woke up around 9.30 the next morning, eight and a half hours later, their youngest daughter was there, but both Lizzie and Alex were missing, and the front door to their house was wide open. Alex's skateboard and burner phone had both been left behind. Lizzie's parents frantically searched the entire house inside and out, but at 10.02 a.m., Dietrich knew he had to call 911. He told police that his five-year-old daughter was missing and that they also couldn't find her uncle, who had crashed on their couch the night before. No Amber Alert was ever issued because in order to qualify for an Amber Alert, it has to be a witnessed abduction and there needs to be a vehicle description. No one saw Lizzie being taken from the home, and Alex had no means of transportation other than a skateboard, and that was left behind. So due to technicalities, Lizzie's abduction wasn't worthy of an Amber Alert, and that needs to change. 
Logan Police Department describes Lizzie as three feet six inches tall with curly brown shoulder-length hair with choppy bangs and beautiful brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a teal-colored skirt and a red tank top with blue ruffles. Her uncle Alex Whipple is six feet one inch tall, 180 pounds with black hair and brown eyes, and is said to have been last seen wearing a dark-colored suit with a white shirt and blue tie, both last seen at 111 400 West, Logan, Utah. Without any means of contact and no available mode of transportation, they have to assume that Alex left the house on foot. In the initial photos of Alex that grace the internet, he looks like every frat boy you've ever seen. This will change, but nonetheless, worth mentioning. Lizzie was freaking precious. You could tell just by looking at her that she was a free spirit. She always wore a huge grin and her entire face would light up when she smiled. About three and a half hours after the family woke up to find the pair missing, Alex is seen at a gas station in Hiram, the Hiram shortstop. According to Action News and Gebhardt Daily, the employee said Alex looked disheveled and like he had been on a binge of some kind. He purchased three beers and a pack of cigarettes and left on foot towards South Cache County. Not long after making his purchase of bad habits, police catch up to him walking alone on a dirt road near Paradise, Utah. When they stop him, he's wearing the suit he was last seen in with a hoodie over top, but Lizzie is nowhere to be found. Two beers down, Alex refuses to give police his name. He even refused to put his hands behind his back. He had to be taken to the ground by police, struggling to bring one arm behind him at a time just to handcuff him. When he was searched, they found a metal baseball bat in his back pocket going up the back of his shirt. He was detained and taken to the station for questioning, according to KUTV. According to KUTV, when they found Alex, he had a metric butt-ton of cuts on his hands, and additionally, his hands were filthy. When they got him into the interrogation room and uncuffed him, he started licking his hands to try and get any evidence off of them. He licked his hands. I cannot... If we were playing a game of you know you're involved when, that would be the winning card. Naturally, they say Alex is not being very cooperative. Gebhardt Daly speaks to a man named Ryan who says he was at the convenience store when Alex was there. Ryan says that he's talked to some of Alex's friends since Lizzie went missing, and the consensus is that they all feel like this motherfucker needs to die. This guy 100% looks like he would say something glorious like this, so his face will, without a doubt, be gracing Lizzie's highlight at the top of my Instagram at the Heather Ashley. Alex is talking to police, but denies ever being at his sister's house the night before, which everyone knows is bullshit. Authorities say he's talking in circles about the dark and twisted world we live in and has an all-out pity party for himself, playing on constant repeat. He says he does drugs daily, his life is so hard, blah blah blah. The Salt Lake Tribune also says that Alex told police that alcohol makes him black out and do criminal things. Oh, the good old blackout excuse. I'm not going to lie, back in my dumpster fire days, I got blackout a few times. I might have thrown up in unique places and cried about not wanting to turn into a smurf, but I can guarantee you that I never killed anyone. 
Captain Budge of the Logan Police Department says that they believe Lizzie has been harmed and is in very, very serious danger. Knowing that Alex didn't go far, authorities asked that anyone from 300 south to 100 north and from 300 west to 600 west check their security cameras to see if they can spot Alex and Lizzie walk by at any point in time between 2 a.m. and noon. This meant nothing to me, so I had a local, Julie Dewey, help me out with a map. I'll post it to Lizzie's highlight at the top of my Instagram. The search area is essentially a small rectangle. The police have totally converged on the area surrounding Lizzie's neighborhood. They're searching front yards, backyards, going door-to-door, searching inside homes and garages. They even have volunteers searching a small canal that kind of looks like a big river ditch on the side of the road. They're walking along the side and looking under small bridges that go across it. According to HJ News, authorities have only taped off two locations, Lizzie's home and Bear River Charter. Someone who lives behind Lizzie's house comments on a Facebook post by Logan Police Department and says that police have a mobile crime lab set up there, that they're testing any and all evidence they come across on site. Now, Bear River Charter is a name that seems to have dropped straight out of thin air, so I gave it a quick search, and it's a school. A school that is smack dab in the middle of that search radius they asked everyone to check their security footage for. And I'm talking literally smack dab in the middle. Remember, police found Alex in Hiram, which is about eight miles south of Logan and the charter school. So how does Bear River Charter play into this and why is it taped off? The FBI Child Exploitation Task Force, the Cache County Sheriff's Office, and the Cache County Search and Rescue immediately show up to help Logan Police and Valdesearch throughout the night. They utilize volunteers, canines, helicopters, you name it. They search in, on, under, and behind anything, but no Lizzie. Within less than a day of her disappearance, her uncle Alex is officially named a suspect. The only suspect. Police also tell everyone that they don't feel they need the public's help any longer. They changed the status of Lizzie's investigation from a search to a recovery, and all hope of bringing her home feels lost. Many of you know a recovery means police are no longer looking for a living person. They are looking for a body. On Sunday, May 26, around 7 a.m., authorities expand their search to contain Southwest Logan, Nibley, Hiram, and Mount Sterling. They ask that everyone check their properties for any unusual items, and if they do find anything, not to touch it and immediately contact police. Additionally, they ask for anyone with a ring or any other kind of security camera to check their footage for anything suspicious between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., which is an interesting timeline change to acknowledge. They're no longer focusing on 2 a.m. to noon. They're focusing on 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., even though Alex was found around 3 p.m. I'll add a map of this new search area to Elizabeth's highlight on my Instagram at the Heather Ashley. It's essentially a triangular section of Utah connected by Highway 89. Lizzie's bed was positioned right beside her mom's bedroom door, so if Alex took Lizzie, he would have wanted to make sure that everyone was asleep before he did it. His sister came out of her room at 1 a.m., so we can probably assume he waited until at least 2 a.m. to take her. It's probable that he would have also wanted to dispose of her body before sunrise as to not be seen by any neighbors or passersby. I checked, and the sunrise in Logan, Utah was at 5.59 a.m. that morning, so I think we can probably narrow down that whatever happened to Lizzie likely happened within the four-hour window between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. 
Police waste no time and book Alex on an outstanding failure to appear warrant in an effort to keep him in jail while they continue to look for Lizzie and build their case against him if there is one. He's held on a $25,000 bond or $500 cash, which honestly feels like nothing, but he has no money and he's the main suspect in the disappearance of his niece. I don't think we have to worry about any family bailing him out. The saddest part of this charge is that the outstanding warrant had actually been issued on April 29th of 2019, just a month before Lizzie disappeared. Had he been served and taken to jail when he violated his probation, it's possible that none of this would be happening right now. Later in the day, police tack on more charges onto the initial failure-to-appear arrest. They include failure to disclose identity, unlawful purchase by interdicted person. This means he's not legally allowed to purchase alcohol, which we know he did at that convenience store in Hiram. Failure to stop at the command of law enforcement, possession of marijuana, possession of paraphernalia, and possession of a dangerous weapon by a felon, all in relation to Lizzie's case. His bond was up to $45,000. Homeboy is not going anywhere anytime soon. His booking photo is a stark contrast to the clean-cut, fraddish boy we saw in his earlier photo. He looks defeated and aged with a shitty little goatee and dead eyes. He has a weird crescent moon-shaped bruise under his eye, almost like something hollow hit him in the face. I'll post a photo and a bunch of his other booking photos to Lizzie's highlight at the top of my Instagram page because why stop at one? Police continue their extensive search for Lizzie, and according to Sean Moody at KSL, they even go so far as to drain that canal that they had been looking in the day before. I'm always amazed when they drain lakes or canals. That's a massive undertaking. They go through more homes in the area and even into the trunks of the vehicles parked in the driveways of those homes. Police even call in extra manpower and are working in 15-hour shifts. The standard for the Logan City Police Department is 8-hour shifts. These officers are almost working double their normal hours, desperately searching for this little girl. KUTV announces that searchers have located some items of evidentiary value that make police believe that wherever Lizzie is, she's close to the house. They don't elaborate on what they find or where they found it, but we can assume it wasn't far. Lizzie's mom, Jessica, is a wreck, and rightfully so. Her mother, Mary Whipple, told Fox 13 that she's been hysterical all morning, all day. She's still bawling. It's her worst nightmare. It's the worst thing. She just wants it to go away. She wants her baby back. I can only imagine the guttural pain this mother is in. Not only is her daughter nowhere to be found, it's likely at the hands of the brother she's known and loved for her entire life. The brother she gave fourth and fifth chances to, the brother she invited into her home just the night before. The grief and guilt she's feeling has to be immeasurable at this point, but let's be clear that Lizzie's mother did nothing wrong here. There was nothing in Alex's past to indicate that he'd be capable of something like this, whatever this is. On Monday, May 27, 2019, Action News quotes the police as saying that Lizzie's case will not end well. Authorities hold a press conference where they say that they have troubling and disturbing evidence pertaining to Alex, but again, don't specify what it might be. The search continues, starting with a large field, more trunks, porches, dense woods, ponds, dumpsters, garbage bins, and pools in the area. Seriously, seemingly no stone was left unturned. Forensic testing comes back on the evidentiary items found near the home and confirmed that the pair were 100% outside of the home together after Lizzie went missing. I can only imagine that they found Lizzie's DNA on items Alex had on him or even on himself. 
And I'm not talking DNA that shouldn't have been there, not like touch DNA from a hug or a high five, more like blood DNA. Alex continues to be uncooperative with police and has since retained counsel. Color me shocked. Fox 13 reports that a crowd is quickly gathering around the Cache County Courthouse, but there's no press conference scheduled. Instead of an impromptu press conference, it turns out that the people around the area are coming together to pray with one another and hold out hope that Lizzie will be found and brought home alive. A beautiful candlelight visual is held in her honor. On Tuesday, May 28th, the police asked that anyone who lives or works southwest of Logan or along the area of 1200 West between the towns of Nibley and Hiram, please check their yards, buildings, containers, dumpsters, garbage cans, everything. Just search everything for anything they don't recognize. The talk around town is that the police did manage to get surveillance footage of Alex walking around the town throughout various points in the night, which means they've likely got a better timeline than the two they were initially working with. Dive teams start to search the local river, which is flooded and raging due to the wet conditions in the last few days. People are beginning to worry that wherever Lizzie is, she won't be there long if the river doesn't calm down. The community comes together to put missing persons flyers on business windows and even on the backs of cars to remind anyone who drives by to keep an eye out. Then, police get a hold of some CCTV footage that showed Alex on the morning of May 25th alone at 6.30 a.m. I believe the footage came from the Cafe Sabre and shows him out back near an abandoned train cart. This pretty much confirms our assumed timeline from earlier. That Alex would have waited for everyone to be asleep, so we guess he left around 2 a.m. If he's seen at 6.30 a.m. without Lizzie, a half hour after sunrise, whatever happened to her likely happened within that four and a half hour period. Cafe Sabre, where the footage was taken, is less than a half a mile away from that charter school they had roped off a few days ago. You can even see that abandoned train cart in a map containing both buildings. I'll add the map of this to Lizzie's highlight at the top of my Instagram at the Heather Ashley, so you can see just how far Alex did not go during those four and a half hours. Police then hold the second press conference since Lizzie went missing. They say they believe Alex was on foot the entire time he was gone. They say they do have DNA evidence linking Alex to Lizzie's disappearance, but that the baseball bat oddly hidden up his back is not a piece of evidence they believe is related to the crime. They say that they don't know what happened yet or why, and that they never dash hope that Lizzie may still be alive, but they do have evidence that she was at least hurt. The FBI believes that Lizzie is within a half a mile of her home. At 1.15 p.m., Alex Whipple is arraigned. He appears via video conference and looks like a straight-up demon. Like, head cocked to the side, dead eyes possessed. He was even squirrely-eyed, like something to the left and the right might be talking to him. I'll drop a photo of it in Lizzie's highlight for you. It will not disappoint, though it may induce nightmares. Parental discretion is advised. His attorney tried to get him bail. It was denied, obviously, because he's a demon. A new video is released by the Daily Mail, and this video shows Alex walking near Lizzie's home at 6.46 a.m. He looks cold, and Lizzie again is not with him. Witnesses say that Alex seemed to look wet from the waist down, and if you look closely in the video, I'll put it in Lizzie's highlight, you can distinctly see that at the very least, his knees are wet. 
On Wednesday, May 29, 2019, KUTV breaks the news that Alex Whipple has definitively been charged with two counts of obstruction, child kidnapping, aggravated murder, and desecration of a human body. What the fuck? I was not ready. I mean, we all kind of saw this coming, but it escalated so quickly. What evidence have they found? Did Alex finally talk? What are we, the public, missing right now? There's another press conference held, and sweet mother of bread and grits, hold your breath. Remember how we couldn't figure out why Bear River Charter School had been roped off? Well, police found a bloody knife in the parking lot that matched a single missing knife from the butcher's block at Lizzie's house. The knife had been used so violently that it had broken. Just 50 yards away from that bloody knife, they find Lizzie's bloodied teal skirt sloppily buried under some dirt and bark. Beside that skirt was a small concrete block that also had blood on it along with a PVC pipe that had Alex's palm print wrapped around it in what they believed to be blood. Um, PVC pipe is hollow. Remember that crescent-shaped bruise under his eye in his mugshot photo? I can't. I'm big mad. I'm so big mad that it physically hurts my body. To make all matters worse, Lizzie's blood was found on Alex's watch, hoodie and that bloody broken knife stolen straight out of her mother's kitchen. A random guy noticed a PBR beer can in his outside garbage can and he knew it wasn't his because he didn't drink beer so he reported it to police. That beer can tested positive for Alex's DNA. That can was found right across the street from where they found the bloody knife, bloody concrete, and Lizzie's bloody skirt. He didn't purchase beer until later in the afternoon around 1.30 p.m. all the way down in Hiram. This means that Alex took beer with him to do whatever he did to his niece. This is the most Hansel and Gretel crime I've ever seen. He left a trail of evidence behind him. A literal trail. While authorities still have yet to find little Lizzie's body, they feel confident enough to follow through with the murder charges. The public is gut-wrenchingly devastated for Lizzie and her family, and on the front porch where her bike sat waiting for her to come home, friends and strangers have begun to leave stuffed animals as a makeshift memorial for the still-missing five-year-old girl. At 1 p.m. the same day that Alex was officially charged with Lizzie's murder, Paul Nelson of KSL shares a photo of police completely blocking off Center Street between 400 and 500 West. This is the road between Bear River Charter and Cafe Sabre where he was caught on surveillance. It's also the location where they found that beer can that came back DNA positive for Alex. Authorities soon tape off the entire block, search a home, and put up two white tents in one of the backyards. White tents almost always mean they're blocking off aerial views from media helicopters or drones, and it almost always involves a successful recovery of a body. We saw this in the Cosmo DiNardo and Mackenzie Lewitt cases. KSL did, in fact, do a live helicopter stream during this recovery, so the tents served their purpose. Alex's attorney makes an announcement that all of this is because his client has decided to lead police to sweet Lizzie's little body to end this for her family, his family, and offer some closure. 
But let's be real, he got out of the death penalty for giving up her location. He's not some hero who thinks about other people before himself. He's the exact opposite. And this is just another one of those self-serving instances. But let's be clear. This compromise wasn't offered without the consent of Lizzie's parents. The county attorney called them and asked what they wanted to do, and according to Desert.com, they said their highest priority was getting Lizzie's body back, so they made the deal. The Cache County attorney says, The state will look forward to never letting this person out of prison, the defendant, ever. We look to lock him up for the rest of his life and never have him back on the streets. Remember that mother who abandoned Alex into countless foster homes only to come back and offer him next to nothing? Well, she decided to support her shit-ass son via Facebook, probably for one of the first times in her life. I mean, Facebook support is easy, right? It takes no effort. She wrote on there that Alex was absolutely innocent, that he didn't do anything to Lizzie. Sure, it's just the biggest coincidence in the fucking world. You can imagine that she deleted her post and changed her name as soon as her son coughed up this confession to avoid his own death like the coward he is. And while I'm grateful Lizzie will be able to be properly buried, he's still a flaming sack of shit. They locate Lizzie in a heavily wooded area in the backyard of 470 West Center Street, the same home the beer can was found that traced back to Alex. Everyone is genuinely shocked that they hadn't found Lizzie earlier. KUTV says that searchers were kicking themselves. They were only feet away from her body at several times during their five days of searching. The homeowner actually walks Jeremy Harris of KUTV through his yard to show him where Lizzie was found and says that it was searched Saturday, Sunday, and again on Monday by dozens of searchers and at least three dogs, but still Lizzie was missed. She wasn't buried, she had just been covered with what was laying around, sticks, dirt, leaves, and placed behind a shed. I say it was heavily wooded because that's how it's described, but honestly, this wasn't in the woods. It was a bunch of trees in a backyard. I'll show you a picture of it in Lizzie's highlight at the top of my Instagram, and I think you'll be surprised at how small of a quote-unquote wooded area it really is. Where she was found was only 0.2 miles away from home, literally less than a minute's drive, five minutes on foot. It was one block away, less if you just cut through. I almost feel like she would have been close enough to hear her scream if she did. The community feels helpless in comforting Lizzie's family, so they do what little they can. More items are dropped off at Lizzie's little memorial on her front doorstep. In addition to the stuffed animals, people have lit candles, dropped off flowers, and placed angels and crosses on the porch as well. Before nightfall, butterflies and unicorns are added, and when the sun sets, there's this beautiful glow from the candles around this huge plethora of items that Lizzie would have loved. By daybreak, balloons and a tiny little windmill have been added. The entire Logan City Fire Department walks in a line to the front door of Lizzie's home and drops off gifts in her honor. If you felt like you had no tears left to cry, the video of this will help you find some. Obviously, I'll be uploading it for you. On June 3rd, 2019, Alex is arraigned for murder and doesn't speak a single word during his two-minute court appearance. His next date is scheduled for June 24th. Obviously, he's denied bond because he's a fucking monster. One day later, little Lizzie Shelley is laid to rest in Babyland at the Logan City Cemetery. It's a specific area of the cemetery with small plots for infants and children. The fact that this even exists makes my heart crumble. 
Her little white coffin was decorated with butterflies in every color of the rainbow, and on the side was written, Live Like Lizzie. She was always beaming with happiness. She had such an inviting personality. She loved everyone and lived her life carefree. Instead of opting for black, everyone showed up in rainbow colors. There was a police escort and an entire gang of bikers showed up to pay tribute. On June 5th, 2019, all of our worst fears come true. Two new charges are added to Alex's list, rape of a child and sodomy upon a child. When her clothes were found separate from her body, we knew in the backs of our minds that it was probably going to come to this, but a piece of your soul tries to keep your mind from going there. The updates on Lizzie's case slow down like they do when charges are filed and court dates are set, so we wait and we wait and we wait some more. On June 17th, ABC4 releases information on one of the search warrants executed at Lizzie's house when she was first reported missing. Some of the items include Lizzie's toothbrush, likely for DNA comparison, pink children's underwear, the butcher block that was missing a knife, a doll, a green vape, this douchebag looks like he would vape, a Christmas card with Lizzie's tiny little handprints on it, Alex's skateboard, a green bathroom rug, and swabs from the bathroom area in general, a black sheet, Lizzie's blankie, and her comforter. All of this seems pretty self-explanatory to me, except for the bathroom rug and swabs. What did they find in the bathroom that made them want to take these? This is the first I've ever seen the bathroom mentioned. Remember that no one woke up, so whatever happened in the house that night was pretty quiet. On June 24th, Alex has a brief hearing where he dons a bright pink jumpsuit and a blue padlock chaining him to himself. The pink jumpsuit signifies that he's currently under maximum security. All that's accomplished at this hearing is the scheduling of a preliminary hearing, which is set for August 13th. This is literally a hearing to decide whether or not there's enough evidence to move forward with his charges. I don't think I've ever seen a trial with more damning evidence than this one. On August 13th, 2019, Alex Whipple pleads guilty to aggravated murder, child kidnapping, rape of a child, and sodomy of a child. His two charges of obstruction and his charge of desecration of a human body were dismissed. And for the first time, we learn about the horrific way prosecutors believe that Lizzie died. According to Fox 13, they believe Alex snatched Lizzie from her bed after making sure her mom and stepdad were asleep. He took her less than a half a block away where he held her against her will and sexually assaulted her. The Salt Lake City Tribune reports that there were injuries to Lizzie's face and the back of her head, as well as a superficial slash to her neck. But that's not what killed her. What ultimately killed Lizzie was when her uncle Alex stabbed her in the back with a kitchen knife taken from her own home, which pierced her lungs. Lizzie slowly drowned in her own blood. Alex's sentencing is set for September 24th, and while we know he won't get the death penalty, there's always hope for life without parole. September 24th, 2019 comes, and as Alex Whipple stood before Judge Kevin Allen, he handed him what we all hoped for, a life sentence with no possibility of parole. The Salt Lake City Tribune quotes Judge Allen telling Alex, You will never see the light of day. You will never breathe free air again. What you did was so abhorrent and vile, and for that you must spend the rest of your life in prison. Lizzie's parents chose not to attend the hearing. Instead, they waited across the street for word on the decision, and when they got the news, they released butterflies in Lizzie's honor, her mother telling the Salt Lake City Tribune that it's a relief to have all of this over with. No more court dates, no trial where they discuss the horrific details of what Alex did to her innocent daughter. It's 
done. He's in prison for the rest of his life, and Lizzie can be remembered for the life she did lead and the lasting impact it had on those around her. Alex defied all laws of depravity, not only violating a child, but his own niece. No one could have predicted this. No one could have stopped it before it happened because there was no way to see it coming. We always ask what we could have done to try and find some form of reasoning behind the horrible things that happen in the world, but you cannot find logic in the illogical. The only person to blame here is Alex. The motive was pure evil and that's it. That's all he got out of this, the sick pleasure and verification that he's what goes bump in the night, that he's the boogeyman, that he is the sick and the twisted of the world we live in. Join me tonight for Crime Talk Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me on my Instagram at TheHeatherAshley and discuss the case. You can also find any and all pictures pertaining to Lizzie's case in her highlight at the top of my profile. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, all of your episodes will be ad-free. And for $5 a month, you'll get an exclusive extra episode each month. So instead of four, you'll get five. If you love this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get notifications every time a new episode is posted. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, drop us a rating or even a review. We love you for it, but I mean, we love you even if you don't. Next week, I'll be bringing you a brand new case, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.